You okay? <laughs> you know, uh, I was here last yesterday evening. I don't recall a class this big. <laughs> How many of you are gate crasher? Huh? <laughs> oh, happily, happily. Well done, well done. Ah. Ah, okay. I hope you guys didn't eat too much. <laughs> because this talk may just put you to sleep. And what I plan to do is to give you an idea, kind of explain the approach, and to do a little summing up of the so what in this module's focus. You went through, you sat through, correct? Eh? You said through 14 classes, yes? yes. Well, not all of you were here for 14. <laughs> yes. In fact, I think the facilitators, most of them were here for all 14. <laughs> you said through 14 and you were bombarded with, uh, for some of you, a lot of fresh new materials and ideas about the Dhamma, yes? And I hope the bulk of these information and ideas and materials that you have picked up over the last 14 weeks, I hope they are still kind of swimming in your head. That you are not a lab Dhamma student. The moment you get up, it falls off your lap. This is not my expression, it's Buddha's expression, the lab Dhamma. And I hope that you manage to um, consolidate enough for you to be able to practice on your own or at least to reflect on your own at home. What I hope to do today is to tie up the ends, tie up everything and give you a, an, an overview of, the, of what you have gone through, do a summary and give you an idea of what is it that you have learned to help you remember the essentials. There's a lot of info we gave you, I know. We kind of fed you like foie gras. Eh? Like we are, what? Foie gras is goose, right? Or duck? Goose. goose. Okay, yeah. yeah, we feed you, feed you, feed you, feed you. And then you are like choking on the amount of material. Hopefully today, I can help you digest a little. The key points, digest the key points. And then, that's the first part. And then the second part is, I want to share with you some clarity on what makes a Buddhist. I know most of you sitting down, most of you, maybe 90 plus percent of you sitting down here would call yourself a Buddhist. I will give you a checklist. <laughs> then you do your own little check. And then at the end of which, don't run off, I ask you, so are you a Buddhist? Uh, you must tell me, I'm 50%, 40%, 30%, I ya jialat. None of the above. <laughs> I, I assume you're not, lah, okay? Now, 
some of you, when you came for this course, you might already have attended other courses. And so in your mind, you have an idea what a normal, regular Buddhist course, a course on Buddhism would look like. You might find that in this particular module, we didn't cover the usual suspects. We didn't do Four Noble Truths in detail. We touched briefly, but we didn't do in detail. We didn't do Eightfold Path in detail. We made no mention of the three characteristics, you know, Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, impermanence, suffering, and substancelessness. We said barely anything on five aggregates, six sense bases. Oh, we mentioned something about karma, but we didn't go into detail, right? Were you disappointed? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's why I must come here and explain why, you see? Instead, what did we focus on? We focused on life of the Buddha. We said a lot about who the Buddha was. We talk about five mental states in a huge way. Day in, day out, we keep pumping it into your mind about five mental states. And we also shared a couple of... Ah, too fast, too fast. We shared a couple of suttas, didn't we? That's it. That was module one. The question is, why? Why did we do that to you? And I said, there are two answers. I, I, I like two answers. One answer sounds incomplete. Two makes it just about right. The short answer, because when we planned this course, when we conceived of this course, we meant it to be a two-part series. Anyway, the first part, which is why we call it a foundation course, we, you know, like a, in the way you construct a house, how do you construct a house? You build foundations, and then slowly but surely you build it upwards until you reach the roof, and we cover it. That's a house. So in the same way, in this course, we wanted you to be clear what are the core mental states necessary to help you on this Dhamma learning journey. Without the core mental states, I can teach you for Four Noble Truth, Eight Four Path, Tilakana, and Paticha Samupada, even throw in Paticha Samupada for you. You won't appreciate it. If information is all you want, you can read it in any books. If information is all you are interested in, you can attend any course. But the intent of this course is to actually help you become a student of the Dhamma. It's to provide you with enough understanding and material for you to realize what a blessing you have to have chosen to follow the Dhamma path. This is not an information sharing course. This is a course to provide you with the foundation to help you realize, understand and realize the Dhamma. So we have structured it in such a way that if you have faith in the organizers and teachers and facilitators, if you have faith in what we are doing you will gamely walk with us to the end of this course. 
And then when I pose you this question, are you a Buddhist, it will be a resounding 100%. After all, if you spend 30 lessons with us, and you are not a resounding 100% of a Buddhist, we have to go back to the drawing board law. So this, this is not a cause that gives you food for thought. This is a cause that answers to your heart desire to know what is the ma. And for that, we cannot rush. And if you, if you are rushing, then you don't understand the ma. Right? Buddha spent six years. We are asking you for less than don't know how many months. What is 30 weeks? Uh? 30 is how many months? Oh, seven months. Yeah, my mathematician says seven months. I believe him. Faith, faith. We're only asking for seven months to help you understand enough for you to be able to say, I have no doubt, this is for me. Okay? So for those of you who had gone 14 weeks with us, we hope you will stay for the next, how many? 16. 16. Give you money worth. Huh? We take 14 and give you bonus two more weeks. Okay? Now, these five mental states, I said here, they are critical foundation for happiness in this and the next life. This is not, this is not something which I say one. It is not me saying this. It came from a sutta discussion between the Buddha and his first cousin, Mahanama. And Mahanama was telling the Buddha, you know, the traffic in Kapilawatu is getting really bad. Every evening, all kinds of traffic on the streets of Kapilawatu. If I get an accident and I get hit by a car, uh, no, no, no car, hit by the bullock cart and I die in this, my mind will be muddled. And I don't know what's going to happen to my mind. Now, we all Buddhists, right? We all believe that when you, your last thought moment is fear and anxiety and all kinds of funny things in your mind as you die, you will end up in hell. An animal is an animal. This, that's part of our belief. And here, this guy was just reflecting a belief. If I die with my mind muddled, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And the Buddha's reply was, Mahanama, your mind has been consolidated in five mental states. You'll be fine. What does it mean? It means if you consolidate your mind with these five mental states that you had spent 14 weeks learning, you got knocked down by a car, you'll be fine. Now we want to avoid car, but at least you bought insurance. Okay? That's what it means. If you consolidate your mind in these five mental states, therefore, your teachers gave you a passport for heaven, rebirth. If you believe in rebirth and heaven. If you believe. Uh, if you don't believe, it's okay. Happiness in this life. In this life, if you consolidate these five mental states in this life, 
But some of you die hard, uh, refuse to believe in next life. Never mind. If you die, uh, sorry, before you die, this life you can see for yourself. Then these five mental states will help you to become a nicer, gentler, kinder, happier person. Then the ones who sit quietly to yourself, I don't feel happy. No. You have your own answer. What did the Buddha say? You know five mental states, you'll be happy. No. Consolidated. Consolidated. If you had not consolidated five mental states, what? Your insurance never pay. Never pay premium, you want the, all the protection. No, 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 no. Consolidated, you'll see the difference. Okay? I made it this point, I also insert this point, the Buddha's original gradual learning framework. Now, in the time of the Buddha, for those of you who are familiar with his life story, you will know, in the early days when the Buddha taught Dhamma to a lay person, uh, this is not Dhamma taught to monks, this, are lay, this is a Dhamma, this is Dhamma taught to lay people. So, the first lay person he met, multi-millionaire son, Bill Gates' son. This was what he taught them, what taught him. Dana, giving. Sila, virtues or morality. Satga, heaven. Adinava, danger. Nikama, renunciation. This was his little package deal. Like we do in 14 weeks, he did it in one session. Five part. And in our course, you will know we cover one, two, three. Why? Because we're not Buddha. And you are not Yasa. <laughs> we are in a different world. We have very different... Uh, learning capacity and teaching capacity. So we will do it in two-part series in a slower run to consolidate, okay? So dana, to give, generosity. Sila, morality. Satga, satga is tricky because it was never really explained in the sutta whether satga was the literal heaven or the figurative heaven. Satga means heaven. If it's the literal heaven, it would have been the, 30, the 31 planes of existence, which we took you through, right? We did. That's why in this course, we took you through 31 planes of existence. Because we don't know whether Buddha said the literal heaven or the figurative one. We gave you both. And then we taught you sadha, sutta, all these things. It's to help you achieve some figurative happiness. Now what's Adinava? Adinava is actually... When you enjoy too much, you should realize that there is a problem there. So this is, in a crunch way, Four Noble Truth. He didn't say Four Noble Truth, but this is actually Four Noble Truth. And the Kama is letting go. So the entire Dhamma carried in one package. So we gave you one third, huh? oh, sorry, two, three-fifths. We gave you three-fifths. Come back for the other two-fifths. You will recall we spent a little bit of time on history, yes? Buddha and his mission. In fact, I think we did two, two lectures on that. 
In the next module, you will see it again. Deliberately, in each module, we put in three parts. We put in a history component, we put in a Dhamma component, and we put in a Sutta component. The next module, we will introduce the meditation component. So next module, there are four parts. But in this module, history, we started off, we kickstart the classes with history. In the same way, in the next module, we will also kickstart with history. And there's a reason for that. I firmly believe that for you to understand the Dhamma, you actually need to understand context of the Buddha's time. A lot of the teachings that he gave was in response to the questions he got in his time. He was teaching in the context of his world. If you, have, if you don't have that context, and you're learning it from the context of your world, actually your understanding will be incomplete. So one is to help you understand some of the elements that made up his world, and then it led to him addressing those issues. So that's one. The second thing is, you know, you, you hear about all kinds of assertions by different people. Oh, this is right, that is wrong, this is true, that is false, and so on and so forth, and so on and so forth. For you to be able to tell, to discern for yourself, for you to be able to discern for yourself what's right, what's wrong, what's correct, what's not, you actually need to have information. So this thing about the Dhamma, first, do you know the Dhamma when you started out? You don't. Then how do you know the Dhamma must be right and not wrong? Then know him, know the guy, know the person, know the teacher that came up explaining Dhamma. That's one. Two, today people will talk about different traditions, different lineage, different practices, different emphasis and so on and so forth. Go back to history and know how the whole thing unfolded know how it comes to be now. And that may give you some resolution. It may help you arrive at some resolution. What is right, what is wrong? Which lineage is you're more comfortable following? It's for you to work out for yourself. It's not for me to tell you which is right and wrong. I will give you the information. I will show you the facts. If you're not Sufficient. If you, have, you feel that this is incomplete, of course, it's only two classes, four hours. You need more, go back to the books. Go back to the research. Better still, take out the, the shovel and hammer and go to India and dig. You can do that too. The more you want to know truth, the more you go digging. So we provide you with a start-up kit. The rest of the colouring and understanding and accumulating, you can do on your own, okay? We just give you the, the basic. And I, the third point is, not just I want to feed, I, I not only want to just feed your mind, I also want to feed your heart. Sometimes, when you know a little bit more details about, about um, when you have more context, more understanding, you feel deeper. In this practice, at some point, 
the heart and the mind must go come together. Right now, you are learning in a very logical, rational, you're, because you're accumulating knowledge, you're doing it cognitively. At some point, whatever that you have learned needs to touch the heart. You've got to feel the Dhamma. Right and wrong, for something to be right or wrong, just thinking it through may not be enough. Sometimes your intuitive wisdom, in fact, for the Ma, intuitive wisdom must come in a big way. And intuitive wisdom does come with feelings. So anyway, we give you more context, more information, and I hope that it will help you feel a little deeper, deeper for the Dhamma and for the Buddha. So, why did we teach you history? To help bring out the faith, the confidence in you. Sadda, the mental state of Sadda. Now I'm going through the mental states that we have taught you. Eh? The mental states of Sadda is very important to help you keep an open mind. I don't need you to blindly believe in everything I say. But I cannot have you sitting down there going, you sure or not? You sure or not? What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? I don't agree with you. You say it like this. I think it's like that. If you keep doing that to yourself, you are not hearing anything. You're not hearing. You need to hear first, then reflect. If you are blocking it at the door, nothing comes in, then you go away with nothing to reflect. You only have your own cynicism and criticisms to carry with you, which makes your mind really hard. I'm not asking you to suspend judgment. I'm asking you to just hear and then you can think critically. Just absorb the information first, then you reflect on the information and you don't agree, you put it aside. But if you start with saying, I don't agree, I'm having trouble with this line, then nothing gets in. Nothing. The good, the bad, the maybes are all out at the door. Okay? Now, it is also what I say for practical lay life. What do I mean by that? You know, someone with faith. Faith is just a mental energy. It's just a mental energy. Faith keeps the mind light, keeps your heart light, keeps it joyous. It's just mental energy. I'll give you an example. Huh? You listen to someone and then you gain some confidence in what he says. It doesn't have to be Dhamma. Let's say you go to school. And you just go to school and you learn all your mathematics and science. And you do you remember school? You all remember school? <laughs> all those the not this school, your old school. The one that kind of appeared in the in your in your memory a long time ago. That that one, huh? Let me ask you. All the teachers that you like, did you learn the most from them? All the teachers you don't like, what did you learn from them? You don't remember a thing. Suchalat. All gone. Then you ask yourself, why? Because the one you like, you have some confidence in them. 
The chemistry makes it easier for you to learn, yes? And the same thing, if you just carry this mental energy, doesn't have to be on anything, just a little mental energy of faith. In daily life, with that little mental energy of faith in your heart, yours is a lighter heart. It's a happier heart. Some smart aleck will say, oh, then you'll be faith in anything. Uh. Yes, it can be faith in anything. Faith in anything. Faith makes your heart light. So all the more you want to steer it towards something that has real value for you. You park your faith in anything, including marijuana, then you will get the effects of whatever you park your faith in. So faith, you've got to park it in something meaningful so that it will help you grow, make you feel that life has become more meaningful, makes you feel that you had done something productive in life. You park faith in something worthless, then it's like that. So you can have faith in good friends and you can have faith in bad friends. Yes? Bad friends will bring you to Marina Bay Sand <laughs> or Geelang. Good friends will take you to Buddhist fellowship. Okay? It's just like that. So practical lay life. Having faith will bring you to the next level of welfare, to joy, to lightness, to meaningfulness in life, and so on and so forth. Faith, the last point I want to make, is that when you have confidence and conviction, and it's unshakable, it's tremendous strength and tremendous courage. I like to say faith makes martyr out of simple men. So do not underestimate the power of faith. And I believe that knowledge strengthens faith. Knowledge and a thinking mind actually strengthens faith, which is why in the Dhamma we don't want you to have blind faith. We want you to have just enough for the mind to stay open and hear. And then you gather the material, the knowledge, and you reflect and see how the, the teaching explains the mind. When you look at the mind and you look at the teaching, you can correlate the two, you will say, aha, there is something about this teaching that feels like science. We all have a lot of faith in science. So it feels like science. And you st start examining it. At some point, when the correlation in your mind feels right, then your faith becomes very strong. And you need that strength to carry you on for the rest of the journey. You need enough to bring you through the door and make you work on understanding the teaching. Then you need enough to take you to the end of the journey. Why? Because on this path, you are asked to change the way you behave, tame your mind, change your instincts, 
It's not easy. When you feel like throwing your temper, someone is taking advantage of you, you said. So therefore, I must lash out, teach the person a lesson. But your faith in the teaching will tell you it's a bad idea. When you lash out, when you protect your turf and not share, when you don't want to build kindness and compassion, who suffer? You. Your mind suffer. But you must have faith in order to overcome your mind's own mara. Otherwise, you won't do it. Now you sit here in this lovely hall, basking in the wonderful, soft, gentle, dhamma, joyous energy. I say what? You will say what? I say, you should be kind. And you say, yes, I am. I'm very kind. In fact, I feel so kind, I should go wash toilet. I feel so generous, I'll do it. But when it comes to the crunch, someone say, hey, why you look like that today? Your, your anger will uh, come out already. That is if you are very particular about how you look. Some people are not very particular about how they look. So I don't, care. I don't really care. But if you're very particular about how you look, you know, your collar has to be like this, your blouse has to be like that. And then someone say, why do you look like this? And then you will feel like that. <laughs> All the dumbest learning and it's gone. So what holds you from lashing out? Why well, you look very nice, is it? What holds you from lashing out? The faith in the Buddha's teaching that says, anger is bad for your mind. Anger prevents you from really understanding the mud. Anger is what will bring you to future dukkha. And then you hold the line. You get it? So this practice is when you are put to the test, then you know whether you are on track. When you're sitting down here, peaceful and metta and karuna and joyous, everybody also very nice. Do you see what I'm saying? You are very kind and very nice when you're in a good mood. It's only when you're in a bad mood. Then we will see how your practice is. The test of the practitioner is on a bad day. So when we take exam, right, go on a bad day. Now, the next question, everyone has a why. Why is sadda important, you know, huh? Give you the right mental energy, keeps your mind open so you can learn, and then keeps you on path on the practice. Do as the Buddha said, not do as your heart dictates. So sadda, why sadda? Sadda so that you will observe sila, morality. Sadda gives you a reason for observing sila. You think you are a good person, and you are. You, all of you, most of you, are decent people, whom I shall call national average. We are all broadly and generally national average. Now, in the Singapore context, we don't like national average. It means we got C or B. No, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. We go for A, right? We're A. That means above national average. And that's when the sila. Sila 
avoid evil, do good, purify the mind. I bet my last dollar, most days, we are trying to avoid evil. You tell me, it goes like this, uh, avoid evil, do good, purify the mind. You, the, the odds are, the odds are, on an average day, not the Vesak day, on an average day, you are doing the avoid evil. What do, what do I mean? Don't get upset. Don't let the anger come out. Don't go school people. Don't go say people. Don't go gossip. You think that don't kill, don't steal, don't have sexual misconduct. That's baby game. That's baby game. Don't steal, don't kill, don't have sexual misconduct. I would assume national average people don't do these things. Right? National average. If everybody is killing and stealing, we'll all be sitting down here in our safe. So those are national average. So therefore, we are all national average. But did you see annoyance come up? Did you see yourself gossiping? Chatting? 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 For what? It's good, ma? So we are pandering to our delight. Normal. Normal. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying we are national average. See? Can you see that? It's when, the, it's when you get a little impatient. Then does that angry word come out? Oi! Does it come out like this? Or, oi! <laughs> or, or, you sit quietly and say nothing without fuming. So, avoid evil is... It comes out, oi. Then avoid more evil is, oi. Let's still avoid evil. Doing good is, do you need help? Is there something wrong? Can I help you? That's doing good. In the same instance, huh? purifying the mind is, just be patient and wait. Do nothing. Be patient and wait. That's the three different types of reaction. What is your average and regular reaction? Is it, oi? Is it, oi? <laughs> is it, can I help you? May I help you? Or, do nothing. You know for yourself. Then you know for yourself, are you national average? Above national average? A grade national, uh, A grade, not average, A grade. Most of us are not A. In regular time, we are not. In regular time, we already pat ourselves on the back when we don't score, when, when the impatience is coming up. And Sadda, why does Sadda help you to hold the line? I already said, you want to get it to a point where you overcome your habit, your instinct. Why would you do that? Your mind is screaming at you to react with vigilance, with robust reaction. Your mind is screaming at you to lash out. And you are gritting your teeth and not saying anything. Why would you do that? Because the Buddha said so. 
or because you believe in the Dhamma. Because my Dhamma says, in order for... <laughs> Hello? Hello? Yeah. Because the Dhamma practice says so. And I teach you one more. You know Sangha? Sangha? What did the Sangha description goes? Supatipano Bhagavato. Ujupatipano Bhagavato. Niyapatipano Bhagavato. Samisipatipano Bhagavato. Do you know what they say? You understand what you're doing. You do it honestly to the best of your ability in accordance with the teaching for realization of the Dhamma. That's what it says. So if you have faith in the Buddha, you are saying, I believe in what he taught. I believe him. And therefore, I will put the Dhamma into practice. I will try and understand what he taught properly. And I will practice to the best of my ability with understanding in an honest way to the end. It is not about other people. It's about you. The faith in the Triple Gem, it's about you. It's not about the outside Buddha, the outside Dhamma, and the outside Sangha. What's the point of asking you to be respecting something outside when it doesn't change you? It's about inside. So don't go and look at some Sangha saying, No, 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 You, yourself. Did you know what is this about? What are you practicing? Did you understand what you're supposed to do? Do you, do you conscientiously just do what you're supposed to do for the correct understanding and realization of the Dhamma? If you do, then you have faith and the sealer is to help you hold the line on the practice at the highest level. But you're here in my course, right? You're here in this Dhamma course, right? We're going for the highest level. I should have brought this one out. Oh, I might as well give you everything. So sila is not a good to have. It's a must have. It's critical for happiness and spiritual progress. It is critical. The day that you give, that you share, let's say you have, you have a cake. Hmm? Let's say you have a, a, a slice of cake and Oh, you love this gooey chocolate cake. I don't eat chocolate cake, just let you know, but you, know, you love this gooey chocolate cake. And you really want to eat it because your loba says, it's mine. I want it. Now, you have a choice. Your friend, your sibling, somebody is there. You can say, I share, or you can say, I go to my room. And not go to your room to meditate. <laughs> we were not thinking about meditation, okay? You can say, I will share, and your mind will resist. 
If you're not a practitioner, your mind will resist, fight you to the death. Because if you die, it has the kick. It will fight you. And then you force yourself to share. You cut it, cut it one third, two third, you take one third, he takes two third. You know what will happen to your mind? At the point when the person says, oh, you are so generous, your mind will burst into delight. You burst into joy. You would have overcome a defilement and an instinct in your mind. And if you have never walked this path properly, you would never have experienced that joy. When you overcome and you defeat your habit and instinct, defeat it and you do it, then you really understand the beauty of sila. But you've got to overcome. And your defilements will fight you. The maras will fight you. Do you understand? I said the lower and the higher bars, right? I said lower and higher bars. What's the lower bar? Avoid evil. What's the higher bar? As high as you can go. So, for those of you happily patting yourself on the back with the five precepts, well done. Hey, hello. We must be kind Singaporean. Well done, well done. Now we go for the higher bar, okay? Just go for it. Trust me, if you go for it, if you try your best, every struggle you fight, some of us, very putting, some of us very putting, I tell you why. We fight every step of the way. It's like a street to street battle. What's the worst, uh, no, no, not worst, uh, video game? Is there any street battle video game? Like you shoot at every corner, you shoot at every corner. Go shoot the defilement in your mind at every corner. Stop shooting at moving digital points. It makes a world of difference. You will find the mind lighter, lighter, more joyous. The more you are able to observe sila, the more you feel the joy. For those of you who have never really felt joy in giving, never mind, dana box out there. <laughs> Afterwards, as you grow up, take out your purse and empty it. Okay, a, bit, a little bit more dramatic, you know, more dramatic. But just, just try it. Give a dollar afterwards as you're going out. Just try it. Do it. Fight the Mara in your mind. And the battle would feel so hard-worn and so fulfilling. Okay? Then the question is, everyone has a why, right? Why history for Sadda? Why Sadda for Sila, right? Now, uh, I must have faith in my mouth. Uh, why Sadda again? For Sutta, for learning. When you have Sadda, it makes you want to learn more. Knowledge building. And what do you have to learn? You have to learn a few things. First, learn the Dhamma landscape. Learn the facts, the facts, what did the Buddha teach? What did he teach? That's the Dhamma landscape. Then, the practice. 
how do you operationalize the dhamma? In case you are not aware, the dhamma has three parts. There is the material, the, the Buddha's explanation and description of the world, reality, the Buddha's description of what is ultimate reality. There is one part. The second part, it is a methodology, a practice, a system of training for the mind to help you overcome the habits, the defilements, and if you can successfully moderate those defilements, you will begin to see the world as the Buddha described. See the Buddha's description of the world? When you start to practice, you put into practice his training methodology, you will begin to understand his description of the world, and you begin to see a disjoint between your assumption about what the world is and what the Buddha's teaching and the Buddha's teaching. You will start to see the dissing. And the third part about the Dhamma is when you have successfully completed this training, when you have reoriented, reshaped, rewired your mind, and you really see the Dhamma, see the world as described by the Buddha, you will experience Nibbana. Or all the way to Nibbana. Some of you is like Nibbana or death. No need, no need. All the way to Nibbana, you will start to experience less and less and less dukkha. So the mind is three parts. Sadda will lead you to chase the knowledge and understand the landscape and understand the practice and then get onto the practice. Sutta, the portion about learning in, in, this, in this teaching requires conceptual understanding and insight, experiential insight. It is not just book knowledge. Whatever that you learn has to translate into something that you can see and experience in daily life. If it has no meaning to you in daily life, your knowledge is lopsided and incomplete. And so incomplete, your faith is shaky. Okay? You have to, you have to embark on one and two. What's one? The Buddha's teaching of the nature of the world. That's one. What's two? The methodology of training. Only then will you experience, what's three? Nibbana, the liberation of the mind. The, starting with a reduction in dukkha. Significant reduction in dukkha. That's one of the byproduct of training. That was one. Two. You will feel that you are in much better control of your mind. You will not feel so helpless that you are being tossed around by the vicissitudes of life. Life will always have its ups and downs. The goods and the bad, they come together. So what are the eight vicissitudes of life? Praise and blame, gains and loss, 
fame and ill fame, happiness and pain. These are the nature, these are the vicissitudes, the ups and downs of life. And for the regular person, the regular person is obsessed about trying to get the good and avoiding the bad. How do they avoid the bad? In most, in most cases, people will look for an external salvation, external source for help to manage the bad. You go to the temple, you chop, 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 patoon. This is your early warning indicator. It tells you what's coming up. And then you go and you pray for help, you pray for support, you pray for protection, you pray really hard, then you pay something here and walk around. <laughs> That's what a lot of us do. But at some point, perhaps for you, wisdom prevails and you go, I paste like this, this sticker can help me? There must be something more than this. So that's when wisdom comes up, emerges in you, and you go, if I can fix this guy, I don't need the external helmet. I don't need the sticker. If I can fix this guy. So the Buddha's method is different from all other teachings. The Buddha's method gives you the methodology to fix the mind. You fix it so well, you are fine. Actually, the Buddha is a scientist. It's like today, eh? today, you come down with cancer, you go see a doctor, there is a regimen of treatment, you go through the regimen and then you go like this. Yes? Some people will say, I don't believe in this regimen of treatment. I think I just go bathe holy water. Are you all laugh. Bathe holy water. Or maybe I spray organic material and myself, and so on and so forth. So they come up with other external sources of hell for the pss, pss, pss. And then you do like this also. Now, what are the odds? The odds are signs will help. The odds are the other one, don't know. Don't know, not verifiable. Right? So the same thing. In the Buddha's treatment, Treat it like a scientist. Understand what you're dealing with. Understand what you're dealing with. Understand the conditions that gave rise to dukkha, suffering, pain, stress. Understand what you have to develop to neutralize the pain. That essentially is his method. Having faith means buying the whole thing. Don't just buy half. I only want resolution. You have to understand what caused the problem, then you go for the resolution. Sutta. This is unique to Sutta. Protection against fraud, against risk of staining the mind. What do I mean? If you understand the Dhamma wrongly, or for whatever reason you pick up the wrong Dhamma, Adhamma, not Dhamma, you understand it wrongly, you pick up the wrong Dhamma, it will stain your mind. What do I mean by staining mind? You say, oh, bad karma. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it stains the mind in this way. Whatever that you believe, it sinks into your consciousness. And then it goes into the subconsciousness. And then in future, whatever circumstances, this particular information that you have will come up and say to you, I'm the answer, see? 
Now, if that doesn't help, if it's a wrong answer, you'll be holding that wrong answer for a long time. You hold the wrong answer, hoping that the wrong answer will get you your straight A's, and it won't happen. Why is it a stain in the mind? Whatever that leads you to increase loba, dosa, greed or anger and delusion, whatever that gets you to deepen your greed, deepen your anger, deepen your delusion, these are all staining your mind. Staining. If you are encouraged, I'll just give you something as an example. If you believe that if I buy, if I pay money, pay a lot of money, if I give a lot of donation to this cause, whatever the cause, huh, you give a lot of donation to this cause, and this will buy me protection. If this is what you believe, what is happening to your mind? Loba, greed. So every time you earn more, you buy more. You buy your way to the front row. What is that greed? Is greed going to help you get rid of pain? No. Greed will only help you increase pain. So you want to use medicine, you've got to use the correct medicine. Understanding the Dhamma properly, understanding the Dhamma properly can help you buy the right medicine. That is why it's called protection against fraud. Wrong, wrong teaching and it won't stay in your mind. And if you understand correctly, it will also work to increase sadha, faith. The more you understand in the practice, the more you practice, the more your faith will grow. Why? Because this Dhamma is really about changing your mind. Changing the way your mind works. Oh, look, why do you suffer? Why do you experience suffering? If you have no mind, will you suffer? You think about it. If you don't have a mind, no consciousness, do you experience suffering? No. There is only experience of suffering, there's only experience of dukkha, because there is a mind. So the quality of that mind makes the difference to your experience. A, a mind quality that is gentle, soft, kind and all, you will experience well-being, goodness, joy. And this is not, now this was taught by the Buddha 2,500 years ago. But today, modern science, I see a doctor there nodding his head, today modern science, with all the, new, the, the instruments to measure your brain waves and map your, map your, your brain and all, will tell you that actually it's true. Performing certain action with the correct attitude and understanding indeed will help bring out the chemicals that are pleasant to experience. And these chemicals make you feel good. Then you will, when you're being nasty and mean and scolding and agitated and all, these mental states will produce certain kind of chemicals that will make you experience pain and stress. It is just like that. The mind is very anatta. So when you incorporate his teaching into daily life, 
you will feel better. And you say, ah, oh, no, you didn't incorporate. Ah, but I did. You incorporate the wrong thing. <laughs> See what I mean? And how I know it's wrong? Because you didn't recover. If you, the more medicine you take and the worse you feel, you should stop taking the medicine. Because you have an allergic reaction. Either you are consuming too much or too little or wrongly. People say you eat before meal, you eat after meal. No wonder you so jalat. Do you understand? Okay. Ah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I talk faster than my notes. Please, that's it. <laughs> For joy and mental health, okay? So, to learn. Look, when you learn the Dhamma, you should feel better, not worse. Money back guarantee, not that you paid anything. <laughs> but it's money. When you, when you do the Dhamma right, you will feel better. For sure. If not, it wouldn't survive 2,500 years. You think about it, the Dhamma is so difficult. And still you have generations and generations and generations of people going after it. Why? There must be something that works. And I will say this again. Huh? The Dhamma can survive only when there are practitioners practicing rightly. Otherwise, the Dhamma cannot survive. Because when you see for yourself, when you see for yourself and you feel for yourself, practitioners with the lightest of mind and the clearest of, of, of face or whatever, you see them clear and joyous. And you know these are the true practitioners. It's so inspiring. Even when you are about to give up, you will come back. There's something there, there's something there, you come walking back. Okay? Next. Why do you... Why do you learn? I said it's for understanding. You know the, the verb. I chose the verb very carefully. This is for understanding of chaga. Many people think chaga, dana, same, same. Not really. Dana is one form of chaga. Chaga, generosity. Who, who gave the talk on generosity? Ah, most chaga. Huh? Chaga, generosity is about letting go. So at the first level, you're letting go of something external, material. Something material. At the higher level, you're letting go, at the highest level, you're letting go of the I and the mind and the self. So when you forgive someone, honestly forgive, you really let it go. You let the, the, the fight pass. That is letting go. When you're allowing your interests, you put down your interests. I want to do this, but the person wants to do that. Chaga is when you say, it's okay, we'll do it your way. That's chaga. Okay? The, why would you go so far? For most people, when they are doing dana, there is a transactional idea going on, you know. I give all these dana 
someone keeps a ledger for me so that when I come back after darnering all these arahants, I'm going to be Bill Gates. <laughs> Some people, not you of course, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> I was talking about some people. Yeah? When they do dana, they, they, are, they do their own mathematics, mathematical calculations. Buddha says, you dana the Buddha, it's exponential returns. These days, no more Buddha, let's just go for an arahant. Never mind, la, sotapana also can. La. And you, 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 you do these calculations, hoping, and then some people say, no, the dana to the monastery, the best. Let's build a monastery somewhere. Nobody goes there and pray, never mind. <laughs> we just need to put the bricks and mortar in place, and therefore, I will have houses. Yeah, yeah. Very happy with yourself. Huh? How many bridges have you built? You need so many AYE uh, next to you. Knowledge explains to you with understanding, with wisdom. Chaga is most beautiful when Chaga sits on wisdom. When you understand why you are giving. Because it's part of the training. And then you experience the joy and you want to give more. Oh, I provided the evidence about the importance of Chaga. I said it's the first of the Buddha's gradual learning. Remember Dana, Sila, Saga, okay, that was the first. First of the Kusala. Meritorious deeds, then meritorious deeds. Dana, Sila, Bhavana, and then it goes on. Well, that's number one. First of the right thought, you know, the Eightfold Path, right thought, Nekkama. That's Chaga. That's letting go. Okay? So fundamentally, Chaga is overcoming I, mind, Self. And you know what's really interesting? This is said by the Buddha. I put it in simple singlish. No chaga, no jhana, no dibana, no way out of dukkha. Did you know that? Buddha said in one of the sutta, I know because I'm, I, I've written the, 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 the chapter on chaga, there was a sutta where the Buddha said, someone who does not practice chaga cannot even go into the first jhana. Then in another sutta, he said, someone who does not practice chaga cannot realize sotapana, can't even enter the stream. You can't, your mind can't go still, because jhana is about the mind going still and quiet. And you can't understand what it feels like to let go. If you cannot understand what it feels like to let go, how, how to have cessation of dukkha? How? Okay? Last one. Panya. Why are they all necessary, Sattva, Sila, Sutta, Chaga? <coughs> to have these mental energies, to have all these mental energies, enable you to help you, help you, it will, they will help you to build Panya. These are not, they are not the only, they are not the only conditions for arising of Panya. 
But without these four, you try to do the other conditions and you will not have Panya arise properly feel. You need these four to provide the momentum to build Panya. In, next, in the next module, there will be the introduction of the idea on how to cultivate Panya. I leave it to the lecturer to teach that part. Today, I will just say this about Panya. Panya is wisdom, right? You need wisdom for all aspects of this spiritual path. All aspects. I'll, I'll tell you, even the most basic, the most basic is, do you or do you not go to somebody to listen to the talk? Do you or do you not turn on that YouTube and learn? Why is it Panya? I know already. I don't need to learn from this person. I don't want to learn from that person. Or so on and so forth. A decision to say, I will learn, requires some wisdom. So I congratulate all of you for demonstrating good Panya today. <laughs> so that's why I said, all kinds of choices. At any one time, there are so many choices. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your resources? Where do you go? What do you, what do, you do? All these are panya. How do you live life? Do I play golf? Or do I go to BF and listen to them talk? But if you play golf, and you play very mindfully, And you watch mindfully, not so bad, not so bad. Then you mindfully, you walk to the next point, not so bad. Mindfully, mindfully, not right mindfulness, but at least that's mindfulness, okay? To the spiritual teachers, to the Dhamma friends that you make, to the Dhamma school that you go to, to the doctrine that you chose to do and so on and so forth. This is only the start point, you know? And then, and then it goes into, as you, this is gathering knowledge. This part is only on gathering knowledge. After you have gathered the knowledge, what do you do with it? If you hold all the marbles in your hands and not know what to do with them, Panya stops there. Now you play the game. Now you put it into operation. And when you're putting it into operation, what choices do you make? Do I score or do I not? So that's as I said, down to tactical choices. Do I score? Do I not? Do I say? Do I stop? What is this? What is that? And all the choices that comes along. Panya is a prerequisite for right seeing and understanding. In other words, you see, I have said again and again that in this Dhamma, you have to understand how the mind works. Right? You are watching the mind. You have the mind with you. If you are 70 years old, that mind has been with you for 70 years. If you are 20 years old, the mind has been with you for 20 years. Do you know how it works? Not really. Most of us, I can guarantee you, will say, not really. So, Panya is that instrument, that mental state, that makes it possible for you to be able to 
see the mind workings correctly and conclude correctly. Before you go on to say, I don't have this level of panya. To say that is not panya. Because you have judged yourself before you started. But before you start. Don't do that. One step at, at a time. Every step in this practice takes that first step. If at that first step you have already decided you are hopeless, then you are in a hopeless situation. Because you have jammed your own practice before you start. Never do that. Some people will say, oh yeah, but you know, I don't have a university degree. Buddha got the university degree, man. All his arahants, they were farmers, fishermen, hunters. There was a whole family of hunters, circus performers. They were simple folks in daily life. They had no worldly exposure at all. All they know was how to make that arrow, how to set that trap. Some were menial servants. All they know is how to wash the pot. You cannot be worse off than them at the start point. Do you know what I'm saying? You cannot be worse off than all those individuals in the Buddha's time. And then some white smart aleck, you know, I really don't like smart aleck. So some smart aleck will say, yeah, but they got Buddha. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the expression which the Buddha himself said? When you see the Dhamma, you see the Buddha. Let the Dhamma Vinaya be your guide. Who are you to challenge the Buddha? My question to you, who are you to challenge the Buddha? He said the Dhamma Vinaya be your guide. He was so sure his method will work, his teaching will help. And you have the goal, the goal to tell the Buddha, yeah, but you're not here there. You cannot do that. You have to believe. What is Dhamma, his teaching? What is Vinaya, your restraint? Dhamma is his teaching. Vinaya is your restraint. You, your restraint, your training. You say, yeah, but it applies to the monk. Trust me. You don't need 227, but it applies to you. You need restraint. Am I sure? Yes. How sure? Very. Like how sure? 100% sure. I answered my own question. Easier than answering your question. Okay? Prerequisite for right knowledge and right liberation. That's the last of the path. Understanding correctly. When you understand correctly, the mind will lift. No, don't, don't, don't take picture yet. Got some more. Otherwise, you've got to delete. Leh. So, when there is no panya, there is no way out either. Do I have enough? You are sitting here, aren't you? You are sitting here. You can't sure, surely you can't be here for me. You're here for Dhamma. You chose to come here, spend an afternoon, instead of snoring, you stay here to listen to the Dhamma. That's panya. And you doubt your own wisdom. That's not very nice of you. You see what I'm saying? You chose to come here 
you choose to sit through this 20 slides lecture. Why? Because you have Panya. Is this enough to see? Yes. The question is, do you have enough to start? You didn't put the key into the ignition and you didn't turn that key. How are you supposed to let your panya do the work? You see what I'm saying? You have to start. And then you let the conditions go. How many of you were here the day I was talking about which talk was that? The one with the chicken and egg? The Vesak talk, is it? Ah. How many of you were here at the Vesak talk? Ah, you remember the chicken and egg? What does the chicken and egg say? Conditions. The Buddha used the analogy of the chicken and egg to explain the need to be patient with conditions. Patient, have faith, and it will happen. So this was what he said. He said that the chicken, the hen, when, he's, when, it's, when she sits on the, the egg, she doesn't go poke the egg and say, are you ready yet? Are you ready to burst out of your shell yet? Hello? Hello? She doesn't. She just said, provide the requisite warmth and wait. And then when the warmth is enough and the liquid gets evaporated and so on and so forth and the shell becomes porous, the chicks are ready to come out. It will poke its way out. But for most of us, when we go on retreats and when we do our meditations and we study the Dhamma, we spend our time going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Am I seeing the Dhamma yet? Is this seeing the Dhamma? Is this seeing the Dhamma? The fact you're asking, no lah! If you're seeing, you won't be asking. Because if we are there, he will also stop asking. Oh, open door one. Right? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? The same thing. You go on a retreat and, am I seeing the right thing? Am I there yet? Is this correct? Is this the path? Is this the path? No, it's the overgrowth. No, no, no. Set the condition. But what are the condition? Sila, sadha. How many times must I repeat? You need to set the sadha, sila, or actually practitioner is the virya, sati, samadhi, panya. Those are mental conditions for the path. Yeah. <laughs> get it? Get it? You must know the mental conditions for the path to loom before you. And everybody's journey is different. Why? Because we are different people with different mental conditions. That's not fair. <laughs> How many lives have you practiced? We don't know. We don't know the past. We don't know the past. You only know this life. You know only if you have done your part to set, to put in place the mental conditions. Get it? So what's your job again? Be the chicken. <laughs> Be the hen. That is your job. Achan Cha, beautiful book. 
stillness flowing. Beautiful bowl. He also talked about the chicken and egg, also happy when I saw it. The same thing. He said, your job is only to set the conditions. The rest will follow. Okay? So, you must have faith. The method works. The method works and you must have faith that the conditions set properly, you will just wait. You will wait patiently. You will wait in the Dhamma queue until the number reaches you. Ah, my poetry good, huh? <laughs> okay? So what's the thing again? Wait patiently in the Dhamma queue until the number reaches you. Okay, there. Now you'll never forget. Okay. Uh, we introduced this part because we talk about the suttas, right? We show you the suttas. You don't need all four, but try and get one. Because I have concluded looking at all four, I, I have looked at all four, and I've concluded actually each one itself is self-contained. If you take just one of them, and you read it cover to cover, just one of them, not a Dhammapada verse, ah, that one requires a high level of understanding, although it sounds simple. But you take these books and you take one of them and some of you very, again, that smart alike will say, I take Majima. Eh, Majima is the shortest. No, Diga is the shortest. I'll take Diga. Okay, congratulations. It's a really long one. <laughs> the easiest of these, easiest in terms of each suitor being short. And some of the suitors are very easy to understand. Anguttara. Okay. But if you are more sikit atas a bit, I want to learn the practice, I need to see it at the highest level. Oh, no, 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 you very what? Singapore elite school type. Okay, <laughs> got it. Matimanikaya. MN. Okay? It doesn't matter which one. Just take one of them, read it cover to cover. Then you go, wow, that's going to take a long time. 150, we don't know how many, 52? 152, can. All you need is 152 nights. Less than one year, you are done. Okay? Less than one year, you are done. Okay. The reason why I would strongly advise that you just try to go into one of these. The reason why I would ask you to try, try and do one of these, is because... This is original Buddha. We all quote from him. We are his students. We quote from him. Why do you want to listen to just us? Don't go by third, third pers second person. Don't, don't do it. Go straight to him. You, we are so lucky these days. I tell you why we are so lucky. 21st century and we are really lucky thanks to a great many some of the most wonderful scholars, Sangha scholars, for translating the word of the Buddha into English. And translation done beautifully. We have to thank them. Because if you were living just 40 years earlier, 30 years, 
just about 30 years earlier, you will be looking at the translation. Your only translation of the Buddha's words would be done by the Pali Text Society. The language there is harder to follow. You think this is hard, the other one is hard. This is old English. And if you had lived at the 19th century, 100 years ago, 100 plus years ago, you will have no Dhamma unless you read Pali or Burmese or Thai. But they are not available to the lay people. Today, today they are available to you in your own language. You don't need monks. You don't need us. You can do your own reading and enjoying. Then you say, yeah, but at this time I don't understand. You haven't started. You haven't read ABC. You want to what? Read. Learn. Start simple. The simplest to start, as I said, Ankutara Nikaya. Samyutta is also quite simple. Simple language, short, short ones. In fact, you'll be so inspired, you can do 10 a night. Because it's very short. There are two. There are one. There is one. There are two. There are three. How long do you take to do three? Okay? And this takes you way back to the Buddha, to his words, the way he taught his monks. And honestly, if you understand the sutta, you don't need us. This is good enough. Okay? Now come my question. I haven't given you the checklist yet. So now I'm going to give you the checklist. What is a Buddhist? I don't know why I write, so I must click the first one, pop out first. A Buddhist, apart from the mental states I talked about earlier, apart from those mental states, uh, no, actually, I will, I will not start like this. You just look at it, but I'm going to start this part a little differently from what I had written down. For many of us, when we say we are Buddhists, we will say this, huh? we will say, oh, I took the three precepts, uh, sorry, three refuges, Today, I go drinking. <laughs> oh, but I can't do the rest. <laughs> okay. You will say we took the five, pre oh, five precepts. Five precepts, three refuges. Yes? Yes, yes, yes. 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 But did you take it correctly? Ah, recite in Pali. That's not what I meant. The first one says, I go to the Buddha for refuge. The second one says, I go to the Dhamma for refuge. And the third one says, I go to the Sangha for refuge. Yes? And you're very happy with that. But do you know what it means? What does it mean when we say, you are expecting me to come up with a miraculous answer or something, or something different? No, no, you think about it, right? Now, now that you have gone through the class and you have reflected and you have sat through half a lecture, it's only half the lecture. What, is, what does it mean? I go to the Buddha for refuge. Buddha's not around anymore. I go to the statue for refuge. Is that, is that what it means? Actually, what it means is you train your mind to develop wisdom. Buddha is a symbol. Buddha is the epitome 
is the embodiment of wisdom. It's the personification of wisdom. It's the personification of compassion, of everything kusala, immaculate behavior. Everything kusala, everything wise. When you say, I go to the Buddha for refuge, you are saying, I'm going to train myself to be like him, to embody, to become one who embodies wisdom and virtues. One who lives not for yourself, but for goodness of the world, for the welfare of others, yourself and others. Harm nothing, hurt nothing, bring peace, bring calm, bring happiness. As a Buddhist, if you say, I go to Buddha for refuge, you must then understand the Dhamma. That's why the second thing says, I go to the Dhamma for refuge. You learn, you learn to know for yourself what exactly is realization of Dhamma, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in his path? To be like him, to become like him. The only true refuge you will get eventually is Buddha Dhamma in you. With the character, the demeanor, with the knowledge and understanding, the practice that takes you there, Sangha practice that takes you there. So when you say, I go to Buddha Dhamma Sangha for refuge, they are not external refuges. They are internal. The person, who, the, you become the person who know, who understand the mind, knower of the world. You understand the mind. You are embodiment of compassion and kindness, the Brahma Vihara and so on. You train yourself to be like this. You train yourself to understand the world as it is. Only then are you Buddhist. The precepts are meant for you to hold the line on not hurting others. No hurting others. And you take it, you keep increasing from don't avoid evil to doing good, to purifying mind. You keep increasing. And so on, okay? So therefore, you, the words that I use is actually a description of what I just said. I thought that one would touch you, make it clearer for you. Here are many words. In fact, I give you all of them. No, I, I, I'll start with these two. You read this line, you understand what it says? Some experiential knowledge of the signs of the mind sees arising and passing away, transient conditional nature of the mind. In other words, who is wise? A Buddhist is wise. The Buddha's disciple is wise. If you say, I am his disciple, you must learn to develop wisdom. And one of the elements of your training is beginning to see the mechanics of the mind. 
I call it biochemical, biomechanical processes of the mind. How the mind works. See how every sensations arise and fade. However painful, however pleasurable, whatever impactful they experience, they all fade. We tend to look at them arising but pay more attention to the fading because it is in the fading that tells you it's impermanent. If you pay attention to the arising, you are fixated about wanting something. But if you pay attention to the cessation, you pay attention to the fading away, you really see them as impermanent. Arising tells you there's hope and it will come again. Cessation tells you it will end. Whatever it is, it will end. And you've got to train yourself on the end, not the rise. Okay? You look at your own practice, for those of you who meditate regularly, you happily see a rise here. There, 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 there. Rising, arising. But did you see the cessation? So this thing, transient, conditional, there's something you train yourself to look out for. Wisdom being a prerequisite for unshakable faith. Wisdom means understanding the importance of moderation. All these uh, we will cover next term. All these. Wisdom means knowing what's good for you and what's good for others. What you must do, what you should avoid. Do what is right and good with understanding. You want to observe sila and aspects of the noble eightfold path. I bump up a lot of words here. Do they make sense to you? What I have shown you is in essence the realizations that will come when you begin to understand the Dhamma. So I, I don't intend to explain at length. They will all be covered in module two. Right? <laughs> yes. He who nods most vigorously will tell you. Sila Samadhi Panya. Sila Samadhi Panya. Okay? So, the Buddhist is a practitioner. A Buddhist, real Buddhist, will not be looking for refuge in an external Buddha Dhamma Sangha. A practitioner Buddhist refuge is in the internal Buddha Dhamma Sangha. That is why there is no contradiction with another phrase that the Buddha has said, be a refuge unto yourself. You are your own refuge. Because the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha is not found outside. It's found within. The Buddha, he who knows, you understand. The Dhamma is what you understand. The Sangha is how you practice so you will understand. 
I can't put it any more simpler. Should I repeat? Buddha is he who understands. Dhamma is what he understands. Sangha is what you must practice in order to understand. You do all three right, you will be a refuge unto yourself. And you will be the oasis of cool and calm that the world will come to you for refuge because they haven't understood that. Then they'll come to you. There was this beautiful simile which the Buddha gave in one sutta. The sub-reason, the right, the good person will be the tree with the huge shade and others will come and squeeze under there and take their shade. Because with you, they feel peace. But you can't keep hiding under another shade. You've got to become the tree yourself so that you can provide shade. You shy or not, always go steal people's shade. <laughs> At some point, you provide the shade for others. Yawa Nibbana, until you die. You provide that shade. Because that's the only gratitude you can give back to the Buddha and Dhamma. Do you understand? Okay. Now, the good. The, oh, sorry, you want to take picture? No need, huh? Okay. Next time I must give you early warning. This is the end of the line. They quickly take pictures, okay? <laughs> the Buddhist is wise and the Buddhist is good. Then some of you will say good, just good. You don't need any colorful terms. Sapuris so actually means good person, okay? By body, speech, and mind, you act with restraint. You avoid the akusala. The better practice you are, the higher is your bar, your moral bar. You have to remember that. If you are so smart, you carry a PhD in Buddhism, but you fought for the buffet queue. You please don't call yourself Buddhist. Oh. <laughs> don't, do, don't do that to Buddha. <laughs> then you say, well, I don't understand the Dhamma, but I try my best to be a good person. You call yourself Buddhist, can, can. Because you will have the conditions for understanding. You just need to get the right Dhamma and off you go. Hyperspace. Okay? A Saparisa is not caught up in the self. And because he's not caught up in the self, we, we are all we are all conditionally caught up in the self. Sometimes ourselves very small, we have plenty of people hiding with us in the shade. Sometimes ourselves very big, we just kind of push everybody off the cliff. Okay? So if you're not caught up in yourself, the following happens. You'll be you will have patience. Hmm? You will be modest. You'll be giving, helpful, you'll be empathetic, and you will be friendly and compassionate. Not yet, not yet, one more. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Or I should say, not check, not check. <laughs> oh, but seriously, 
these qualities, if you pay attention, how many of you were here last night? Oh, what happened to the ones last night? <laughs> you remember the 30, 37? 38. You remember the 38 blessings? Do you recognize any of them? When you have these mental qualities, when you have these mental qualities, your mind is soft and light. What blessings are you talking about? What is blessings? Actually, blessings are conditions for growth. Many of us, when we look at blessings, we will say, we are blessed with good things. We want the end game. Having a good house. Buddha didn't say good house, huh? Buddha said good location. Having a good wife. You know, my husband loves me. My wife loves me. That's blessing. Buddha never said that. Buddha said, you have wife and children to look after is your blessing. <laughs> Having parents that love us and mwah, mwah, mwah at us when we go to bed at night, that's a blessing. Buddha didn't say that. Buddha said, you got parents to look after. It's your blessing. Why? How come Buddha was upside down? Not same as the normal human person blessing. Why? Because if you have those things, you're complacent. I have a wife. Look, she worshipped the, 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 the feet. Ah, you worship my feet, the ground I walk. I'm blessed. Is that going to make you grow? It will make you complacent. How many of you found your way to the Dhamma because you are struggling with some mental pain? You will see your mental pain as a curse. Ah, but your mental pain brought you to Dhamma. They are blessings in disguise. You just didn't recognize them as blessings. The day that you overcome your dukkha, you will go and, I'm so grateful for the pain. <laughs> Because of the pain, I found my way out. <laughs> if you are lost in the forest, the torchlight gets you out. But if you are lost in the forest and you found a house that has all the modern appliances, including the aircon and the television, then you may not want to get out. You see what I'm saying? The torch is enough to help you not enough to make you complacent. Now you tell me, is not the Buddha the most brilliant person around? All his blessings were conditions for growth. They were necessary to help you be better. Whereas the useless us, we like our food cooked. Everything done sweet, sweet for us, we are happy. So we want the house, and we want the garden, and we want the car. Yeah, Buddha didn't mention car. Huh? We want the, 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 supporting, the supportive spouse, and so on and so forth. No, you go reflect. Every single one of the blessings are conditions for growth and make you grow until Yawanibana to the end. So these conditions are conditions for growth. Now it is the last one. If you are a good person, 
if you are a wise and good person, you would be counting your blessings. Why? Gratitude. Because you recognize conditions for growth. If you didn't count your blessings, you didn't recognize that they were conditions for growth. You understand? You say you jialat or not? Ah, all the silence means yeah. <laughs> oh oh, I meant it as a joke, so you must laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> okay. Third, if you are Buddhist, ah, so the first one says wise. The second one says good. The third one. If you are real Buddhist and you are practicing, no, no need put practicing lah. If you are real Buddhist, you know you you know you know Buddha Dharma Sangha and you know it correctly, you should be emotionally balanced. Now, emotionally balanced, you know the word I use, ah. I didn't use the word happy. I use the word. Balance. I I I think think very hard about this. Uh. Should I put the word happy? Then every unhappy fellow here say, "I'm not the Buddhist." <laughs> no 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 no. It's not about happy because yeah, that will happen. If you the 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 more Buddhist you are, the happier you will be. But you look at the words that I used. Actually, it means that you won't have so much hang-ups. They're two separate sets. You won't have so much hang up about yourself. You won't be going around going, "I'm a Dharma teacher. Watch me glide." And then you are supposed to be very impressed when I glide, okay? And then you'll be going, "Yeah, I'm a Buddhist. I must do this and I must do that. Am I? I must do this and must do that." You must be nice. Full stop. That's it. Don't think too hard. Should I be a little nice or big, big nice or? Uh, marginally nice, and then you're thinking too much. You're thinking too much. When you think too much, you're not nice. Just do. You see a pain, soothe. You see people in pain, soothe. You see people tired, help. That, that's it. Don't think too much. Thinking too much does not make you wise. It just makes you naggy. <laughs> and we don't like to be nags, right? Don't look at the picture. Look at the words. A picture is just there for effects. Ah, yeah, really. So part one of being emotionally balanced is you don't have too many hang-ups. Don't worry about looking good, looking bad, looking this and that. Don't worry about all these things, because everything is mind constructed anyway. Your mind talks a lot. Buddhists, if you are Buddhists and you really understand the Dhamma, you will learn. Learn in small ways to be content. This one you have to learn because you will have many. I want this. No, no. I want two spoon of sugar. Cut the condensed milk. Put in the what? What? What kind of evaporated milk? Oh yeah. You have a lot of preferences. At cold temperature set at twenty two point five. Ah, then this and that and this and that. What are you doing when you do these things? You are managing the external environment. When you really understand the dhamma, you turn the air condition on here. 
not there. You manage here, not there. When you manage there, there's a lot of things for you to do. You've got to manage the environment, you've got to manage the structure, you've got to manage people. By the time you're done managing, you're old and dry and dead. <laughs> That's very tiring. But if you are able to manage this fella over here, which is already quite a handful for you to manage, if you're just managing this fella over here, it's okay. That is why this is beautiful sutta, really beautiful. So for those of you who are going to Takashimaya to buy uh, Kirokuni, Kinokuniya, to buy the wrong ya, to buy uh, the Majitma Nikaya and all those books, if you buy Majitma, look at number two, Majitma number two, Saba Asava. You look at what is written in there, all seven tricks to managing the craziness in your mind. Seven tricks. And one of them, he said, it's, it's about the external condition. The flies, the weather, the water, you know, the external condition. You know what the Buddha said? Tolerate. Okay? Tolerate. Just bear with it. Then, there's another one. Loba dosa moha. Greed, anger, delusion. You know what the Buddha said? He didn't say tolerate. Huh? He didn't say watch. Huh? What did he say? Cut. Remove. Don't let it be there. Buddha didn't say watch. Huh? He didn't ask you to go like this. What? Watch a tennis match. Like this. <laughs> like that. He didn't. He said cut. Then you say, yeah, but I've thought differently. You're learning from who? Buddha or someone else? If you're learning from the Buddha, do it his way. He has a reason. I, I, I've learned not to question. I've learned to just do it his way because it works. I follow the professor of the Ma. I don't follow the pseudo-professors of the Ma. The real master. Okay? Go, go look at Majima number two. You can get it online, readily available. And just remember this. This is your guide. This is your, if you like, this is, this is your, uh, an important check for you. The last point that says dukkha under some control. You know for yourself the experience of pain, suffering, stress, and so on. If you are learning to manage your mind correctly, you will find that the feel, the sensation of stress and dukkha, that sensation gets better. Does it mean that the external environment is improving? Don't know. Maybe. But it really means that you, you are managing the emotional angst better. That's all. And as you manage it better, you'll find that, oh, the world is such a lovely place. How come I never know the world is so nice? It's all in your mind. When you are not, you see, when the Dhamma, if you practice the Dhamma correctly, you will feel better. And when you feel better, even the coffee tastes nicer. Right? When you feel good, your kid going, Daddy, Daddy, I want money. Oh, sure, how much do you need? <laughs> when you don't feel good, Daddy, Daddy, I want money. Why are you always asking for money? You think what? Money go on tree, ah? 
It's all in our mind. That's how we are, unfortunately. Okay? And this is what we will do as Buddhists. Earlier on is a description of what you roughly would be like. And this is what you will do. You will incorporate the practice of the Eightfold Path in your daily life. You will establish, develop, uphold and develop the five mental states, faith, morality, learning. Learning here actually means increasing your knowledge and reflection on the Dhamma. You will try and be generous and you will slowly, surely grow that wisdom. A Buddhist will, in life, lives in the light and at death, he hates for the light. A Buddhist is absent of fear. Fear of death, fear of old age, fear of pain, fear of problems. The Buddhist, a real Buddhist, is fearless. Because you have learned to manage your mind. Your mind is your biggest mara. Your mind is your biggest trouble. If you have learned to manage your mind, what is there to fear? Of course, you still fear ghosts. La. You manage your mind better, your fear of ghosts will be better. That eventually, all these great practitioners, they know fear ghosts. Ta-da! Then the ghosts fear them. <laughs> but, but we're not there, right? We cannot zoom like this. We can't. We still need our sticker. But as you practice and as you understand the mind better, you will know the problem doesn't lie out there. The problem lies in here. You will know. Right? And you should feel... You sh what is so good about the Dhamma is that it's a toolbox readily, avail uh, readily available to all. Free. If people want to charge you for Dhamma, you ask them, you hold the patent, is it? You don't hold the copyright, right? Not right, not right. So no. The Dhamma toolbox is available to all for free. Number one. Number two. What you are fighting is not understanding per se. What's your, your real battle is not stupidity. You say, I'm not smart enough. It's not stupidity. It's not about wisdom. Your real battle is the choices you make daily. Whether you are going to give in to your anger or you're going to hold the line on the anger. Whether you can be kind and compassionate, even though it is hard, but you will do it. The virya, that's your real battle. If you can do that, if you can do that, you will find that understanding the Dhamma is not difficult. Ajahn Chah, written in this book, has this beautiful teaching which I intend to take and put in my book. But since I tell you, I will attribute. <laughs> but it's beautiful. The point made, now I can't say as beautiful as it was written, but the point made was this. 
It says, what is merits? Punya, you know, merits? You know, we all talk about punya, punya. He said, not he, Ajahn Saro wrote it like this. He said, you are trying to elevate your mind. Elevate it, make it pure, make it good, so that it can receive the Dhamma. Dhamma is pure. Dhamma is the highest good, right? It is pure. It is the highest good. And akusala mind, how to understand the Dhamma? So when we do right and we do good and we do and we purify the mind, is to pure is to bring the mind to elevate it to a point where it can understand the Dhamma. I'll give you a small little example. Many of you sitting down here understands what is giving. And you give. Many of you sitting down here also understand what is a struggle. You struggle. Sometimes you can't help being a bit selfish. You can't help it. Right? You understand that. And you understand that when you struggle, and if your struggle is successful and you manage to give, you feel good. You also understand that. Yes? At the point when you feel good, your mind feels soft. You feel happier. Right? That was what was taught in the teaching, Ma. Then you understand what it means by letting go. In a very small way, you understand what's letting go. That's the Dhamma. If you have never given, you have never properly given, you have never given with the right intention, you will never understand what it feels like to let go. If you never understand what it feels like to let go, how do you understand the Dhamma? Which is about letting go. So many of you sitting here may have found yourself becoming nicer, better people. Nicer, more decent, gentler, etc., 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 etc. Got it, got it, etc., etc. Got it. And because of that, you actually find that Dhamma wasn't so hard to get. You may start off thinking Dhamma is very hard. Actually, it's all in your mind. If you can get it right, Dhamma is not so hard. Okay? I hope I've not intimidated all of you. You see, I'm not sure whether I mentioned it to this class before. You see, Panya, you have an idea. Panya is something that you need to put in effort and there are the, what you call nurture and nature part of Panya, right? You will assume you must have some nature to have Panya, and then with the nurturing, Panya blossom. Yeah? Is that how you think? I won't eat you up. You think about it, right? In your mind, there is this assumption that, oh, there's nature. So your quotient of Panya, and then there is nurture. You teach, you feed, you practice, and then, ta-da, Panya. You have that, that impression, right? So, if you hold, I'm not saying right or wrong, if you hold that impression, then you will be someone who will say this. Because you look down on yourself, ma. I, I'm not endowed with sufficient panya quotient. 
So because I'm not endowed with sufficient panya portion, jialat, how am I supposed to practice? Eh, see what I'm saying? If you hold the belief that panya is nature and some nurturing, then if I don't have nature on my side and I need nurturing and I'm not nurturing enough, I finish. You have marked yourself zero. Right? I won't comment until the end. The next one, meditation. Many of you who had tried meditation will swear blind. It's so difficult because the mind has a mind of its own. My will cannot beat the mind. And the mind, I mean, the, 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 my will I want to do cannot beat this habit of the mind. The mind wins hands down all the time. Some of you say like this. So in your mind, also jalat. Panya don't have. Samadhi don't have. Then how? Forget it. Lah. I will just give money. <laughs> Did you know that in the Eightfold Path, five out of eight sits on sila? Did you know that? You just look at your Eightfold Path. Second one says, letting go, don't be cruel, don't be angry, don't have anger. And then three, four, five is all pure sila. Then number six says, when there is akusala, chop chop. No akusala, don't let it come out. No kusala, bring it up. When there is kusala, proliferate. Isn't that sila? Of sort. Then seven is sati, eight is samadhi. Five out of eight. Do not see sila no up. <laughs> sila that sits on wisdom, sila gives rise to samadhi. And sila, you cannot say. You can't do. Because Sila is the only one that sits on your will and your choice. Right? No one born with Sila. No one is born with Sila. Everyone is born with capacity for Sila. And it's the individual who must choose how much of the sealer line he will hold. And therefore, it is your fault if you stumble on sealer because it's a choice. Our choice. No one to blame. Hmm? This was not hard, but it is hard. When you are fighting with your own emotions, it is hard. But everybody has equal chance to win this fight. No one is born gooder than other. <laughs> Everyone has equal chance to win this sila fight. It's the individual's choice. So you can say, my mind refused to sit, I don't have the skill. You can say, I am born with less panya kosha, not my fault. But you cannot blame another for your lack of sila. This is your choice. And I'm telling you, you do the sila side of the house correct, the samadhi will come on its own. 
the reason why you have so, many, so much difficulty sitting is because you, like everyone else, national average. You're still fighting with the akusala. If you can bring it all the way to purify the mind, the samadhi will come on its own. Okay? And the panya. Now they say, huh, then the panya how? Mm, panya how? <laughs> panya, as I said, no, I shall not give away the game. Let the, let the lecturer talk about panya. I will just say this. If you say, my panya quotient not enough, you are doing yourself a terrible disfavor. There is no such thing as one born with no panya quotient. There is no such thing. There is such a thing as you can catch something faster or slower. You can catch it faster or slower. But there is no such thing as there is no possibility. Remember the story of Chula Pantaka? This poor guy who spent what, half a month, I think, to a month, trying to memorize half a stanza and he couldn't get it, he couldn't. Buddha gave him a rose, no, cloth, white piece of cloth, rub it, clean your sweat, say, dirt be gone, rub it, clean your sweat, dirt be gone, da 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 da, -da. got it. Then you say, yeah, but Buddha gave him the cloth. <laughs> Actually, the moral of the story is not Buddha giving him the cloth. The moral of the story is, under the right conditions, anything is possible. You must have faith. It is not about how much you understand. It is about how good your mind has become, how quiet it has become. Then, just, just the Four Noble Truths will tilt the balance. You don't know the Four Noble Truths, man? You don't know, man? You don't know Patija Samupada. But you know the Four Noble Truths, ma? Because you suffer, ma? That's why you are here, ma? You don't have suffering, you won't be here. You will be... So it's just that Four Noble Truths, understanding how to let go. So don't do that to yourself, okay? Okay, any question? He can, he can call across, no problem. <laughs> I can hear him. Divine ear. Let me tune. No problem. Learn something 
you are, you see. This thing about detachment. Let me. Oh, that's good. If you're really there, congratulations. <laughs> Actually, to be detached from what? Detached from loba dosa moha. It is being detached from your loba dosa moha. I'm actually glad you asked this question. So give me a chance to explain this. We think that detachment is about detaching, detaching from things. That is true. But actually, it's detaching. You, you look at your own mind. Every time your mind is angry, can you see how strong the attachment is there? What are you attached to? Anger is very sticky. Every time you want to eat something, you want to go somewhere, you anticipate a delight in, a, in an activity and you're looking forward to that activity. You want to go, you want to go to Japan, Japan got earthquake. <coughs> you want to go to China, ah, plane delayed, typhoon. I don't know whether China got typhoon, but typhoon or, you know, something like this. And then you, you cannot let go. You're just very agitated about the activity cannot be done. My delight cannot, cannot be enjoyed. My, so you are detached, you are learning detachment from loba dosa and moha. But moha is hard, so we just do loba dosa first. Now, loba dosa about what? What are you greedy about? What are you craving for? What are you angry about? Is usually something we enjoy. So taste, touch, smell. Someone sitting down here, he has this beautiful odor, you know, body aroma, everybody. Okay, it's okay. If the fellas think to high heaven, oh yeah, why you don't stick there? <laughs> what you see here? See that? Attachment. Then, the second thing that we are attached to is self. My view about me. I think I'm brilliant. If you call me stupid, I'm not happy with you. What you are attached to. So if you've got self-image, right? Your self-image. Now, if you're not a complex person, your self-image is, I'm human. Easy. As long as I don't call you ghost, you're happy. <laughs> but we're not. We're very complex because we have worked out this mental image of the good self. Not sapurisa. Good self. So you have worked out all this wonderful image about yourself. I am intelligent, I am beautiful, I have, I'm successful, and I have this, and I have that, and this is my lovely car, and that's my... So it depends on what you put value in that makes up you. So if you say that it's so important that I am seen as a doctor, I'm a doctor, you sure your, your license still valid or not? <coughs> Heart attack die. You have made up a mental self-image. Any questioning, especially what I call the hidden chip. If you have a chip on your shoulder, it's like a never-ending pain there. Some people, some people fat, they don't care. So you call them fat, 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 they're okay. Yes, I'm an embodiment of fat. Embolism. Then you're very happy with yourself. Some people are very sensitive. Cannot be fat. I must be thin. Even though the fellow is like a walking skeleton. <gasps> I'm fat, I'm fat. It's like that. It is what you value. What you value, what matters to you, 
that is what you are attached to. And therefore, whatever people say will upset you. Then the third thing that people get attached to are views. I'm a Buddhist. I will fight you to the death if you challenge Buddha. Never mind, Buddha cannot fight, I fight. <laughs> like that, no? Then some people will say, is that good or bad views? Whatever gives you dukkha, view is one of them. If it matters a lot to you, it gives you a lot of pain. Good or bad, I leave it to you to decide, no? If you think that it is good to have pain, okay, no? If you think that, why do I have this pain? It's so unnecessary. Okay, you're getting it. So it's all about what you hold dear. That is why the Buddha said, when you finally realize the Dhamma, you also must let go of the Dhamma. Because any views that you hold too strongly, and it is a problem. It will give you pain. And the last thing that we hold very dear to, we hold very tightly to, is this notion of ignorance. And you say, who would hold ignorance? Seriously. You heard me talk the whole day, right? Or at least you heard me talk since 1.30, right? Now let me ask you. Eh? Suppose I say you walk out and somebody stepped on your toe or took your shoe and left. <laughs> then you say, Buddha say cannot get angry, but he didn't say cannot get angry when the shoe is missing. That's ignorance, oh? You let your anger run away and you give yourself discount and say, never mind, never mind. Missing shoes, serious problem. Can't even walk down to get, get grab, grab. And so your mind makes excuses for why it is okay not to walk the path today. Why it is okay to make allowance for the mind. When you do things like that, no, no right or wrong, it merely means you won't let go of ignorance. That's all. Okay? I, I think you might have missed, missed my theory. <laughs> oh. Okay, repeat. Uh -huh. That I'm not even attached to my detachment. Uh -huh. that's, why, that's why I'm laughing. In other words, I answered. I said, if that is truly the case, congratulations. So, so is there a higher bar than that? No. <laughs> no. If you are to a level yeah, where you are. Oh, thank you. If you are to a point where you are not holding on to anything, even nothing then it's a good thing. I think what, what I mean is that you are so detached, you are not even attached to your detachment, means that you have no detachment, you have all the attachment following you, that's the beginning of it. That you are playing with words. <laughs> I was not playing with words, I took you seriously. <laughs> Next question. <coughs> Oh, many books. Uh, 
there is an app. <laughs> My fellow teacher said there is an app. It's called the Pali English app. Actually, if you're looking for textbooks, there are many textbooks out there, and usually on the technical terms, uh, they are adequate. So things, the book written by, uh, what's his name, Rahula, Wapola Rahula, what the, what the Buddha taught. And then there are books written by uh, Bhante Damika. Just go and look for Bhante Damika. You will find books. Sri, uh, Sri Dhammananda. There are many, many books out there. In fact, you can go shopping just out here. Right out there, there are books written by uh, Bhante Narada. It's all there. Okay? But are there books covering the things that I said in the way I said it? Stillness flowing. You can find quite a bit there. Beautiful. Highly recommended. Free for download. You must read it. Just read it, okay? Any more? Good? Okay. Wait. <laughs> so, now I ask you, are you a Buddhist? Good. After that, huh, fill in the feedback form. <laughs> Alright, this one, my... Friends want me to put it in for you. Take picture. Don't look so hard. Just take picture. Because I'm going to show you next, the next module. Next module, module 2. Okay? Kaila Anyway, she's going to upload the thing. If you go to the Mo Fellowship website, you will get it. Now, this is module two. On the history component, we will explain, we will share with you geographical expansion of Buddhism, evolution of Buddhism, both of the school, rise of Mahayana, and so on. And then we will go into we will go into the hard suttas. <laughs> the serious concepts. The world, nature of reality, understanding the mind and body, the meditation and so on. Okay? You don't have to worry. We will, we will put in the full um, schedule closer, the, nearer the date. So we're going to start in August, first week of August, Saturday. And this time around, we will start at 7 o'clock. Don't miss. After you fail exam, how? Okay. So, hope to see you next round. All the best. Thank you.